Navigate the Podcast. I'm your host, Belundle Musimeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to 95ers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hello, everybody. So as you would have seen from the title of this podcast, this is not your typical episode. We did an IG Q&A live the other day with Career Queens podcast. And after we did that, we got so many questions and obviously didn't have the opportunity to answer all the questions on the, on the, on the IG live. And it just made me think that, you know, maybe there are a number of questions that the She Brigaders have for me. And I've been posing questions to the She Brigade Instagram and just asking people to submit whatever questions you have for me, whether it be about career, podcasting, anything really. And we've got quite a number of questions. So in this episode, I'll be answering all of those questions. Disclaimer, I am not a professional, well, except for when it comes to answering questions about my (laughs) professional career. But with everything else, I'm not a professional. I'm just someone who has been podcasting for some time, um, especially also with regards to the the career-related questions. I'll just give you my take on, on, on what I would do in that situation and whatever I've learned from my time spent on the podcast talking to so many career women. So let's get started. We have 15 questions today that I'm going to be answering. I've split them up into categories. Some start with questions about me, Belun Um, The next batch of questions is more related to just career-related work. And then the last batch of questions is about podcasting in general. So that's really how I'm going to approach these. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, the very first question that I got was, what does being a digital business analyst mean? Um, you know, with this question, there's two other questions that that are very, very closely related to it. So I'll just I'll just read through those ones as well. The next question says, "I am a final year student, um, so your blog really enlightened me." For reference, the blog is a blog post that I wrote about what I wish I knew when I started my career and what I think that everybody should know when they start on their career. If you haven't read it yet, have a look on our website under the blog section. It's what you should know when you start out on your career. So, okay, let me read it again from the beginning. I am a final year student, so this blog really enlightened me. I'm doing a BCom in information systems and technology and also aspire to be a business analyst. I'd, I'd just like to know what skills I can develop in the meantime to stand out from other graduates and have higher chances of being employed next year. I'm also from KZN and really want to move to Houteng next year. The third question that is related to, this, to the same topic is, Hi, Pelo. I must say you're doing amazing work with your baby She Brigade. Thank you. I would love to know more about your role as a digital business analyst. I'm currently in the fintech space as a product support analyst, and I honestly don't really know where I want to be in the next five years. I'm doing some research just to see what's out there. I want to grow in my career while living comfortably. Money, lol. (laughs) Your thoughts are appreciated. Okay, so obviously questions around um, what I do as a digital business analyst. So podcasting is not my full-time job. It's not my full-time career. I am a digital business analyst. That's what I do as a nine to five. And let's just get into what that means. So what that really means is that as a digital business analyst, your job is to, um, so you'll work for a company, right? And there's different departments, different divisions in the company. So depending on where you work, this will always differ slightly. 
But basically, you, the expectations of you are to are that you'll get a project that lands on on your desk, in your team's desk, or whatever the case is, and a, that project will be related to a specific function, unit, or a specific feature. For, for example, that maybe the business wants to start implementing, and your job will be to now. Um, really just go in, dig deep, study the business, have a good understanding of what that part of the business that you're building this thing for or, the, or that you're investing, that you're studying at this moment, um, what they do, how they, how, do they make, how do they make their profits, how does the day-to-day workflow of the, of, the, of the different roles in that team work, et cetera, et cetera. Once you understand the business functions, you understand what the business needs, then you'll obviously co- then you'll sit down and collaborate and understand what the business needs from you as a solution. To be specific, as a, as a digital business analyst, my job is 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 specifically tech related. So whenever projects do land on our page, the idea is that we're going to build a technology based solution for that ask. So as a business analyst, you need to then understand what the business needs from you, what you can offer them from a tech perspective. And yes, sometimes the answer is not a technical solution. You also can get to that conclusion sometimes, and maybe it's just an operational shift or anything like that. That's what you'll get from your initial study. Once you've done that, you'll collaborate with developers. And the reason I collaborate with developers is because they will obviously understand tech feasibility far more than you as a business analyst. Of course, you will understand it as much as possible, but collaborate with your team, which is a team of developers, quality assurance engineers, et cetera, et cetera. And you collaborate with the business as well to come up with a solution. Once you have defined the solution, you have the job of documenting what every part of that new solution means, what it will look like. So from the design to what it will do, the functions, you document every single thing. You work with UX and UI designers and you really collaborate to create a beautiful piece of technology that will meet the business needs and help them meet their objectives. So what, once once you've documented all of that, the developers will build it and then you will have to come in from a QA perspective and make sure that it's met all the quality standards. You will have actual, usually have actual quality assurance engineers that will test the system, try to break it, try to like find holes in it. But you also have to do a bit of that as a business analyst. And then of course, once the product goes into production and it goes live and people actually start using it you monitor it make sure it is achieving what the business wanted to achieve you document things like um, analytics um, you go through the data to see what's working what's not working potentially uh, provide recommendations on how to make it better and you support the products going forward um, so yeah that's really my what I do and as my job and I, that answers the first question I suppose about what is what does it mean to be a digital business analyst? Uh, what I love the most about the job is the fact that you sh- you should be able to be a successful digital business analyst. It doesn't matter what industry you started out in. You can apply these skills to literally any industry. You can go from mining to insurance to banking to healthcare. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's about understanding, being able to study a business, provide a technical solution for it, guide in the building of it, liaise with business people, liaise with technical people to create a, an amazing solution and support it that's what I love about it so it's always changing I'm always doing something different and that's super fun for me so the next question was um as a as someone studying what can I do to stand out and increase my chance of being employed one thing about being a business analyst is that the the most successful business analyst in my opinion at least 
are the most technical ones. So technical can be in terms of just understanding what the developers do, understanding coding really well, so like programming really well, understanding technical can also be from a data perspective. You all know that there's a big data boom going on in the world right now. So if you have a good grasp on data and anything data-related tools that you use to analyze data, that will really give you an edge. Another way that you can give yourself an edge is is by getting into UX and user experience and user interface design. So understanding how design works, understanding how humans use tech-related um, tools, how people interact with, with apps and things like that. So I think when it comes to being a business analyst, in order to give yourself an edge, in my opinion, I think that you need to specialize in one of those, either really be good at data, whatever it is from a data perspective, have an understanding of programming, have an understanding of UX, choose something that you can actually specialize in, even though as a BA, you'll do literally everything in the process of software development, um, except for actual development. <laughs> but if you give yourself an edge by specializing either in UX and in, in, in data, whatever it is, then I think that that will definitely increase your chances. I would say if you're a graduate and you are just trying to give yourself an edge again, get familiar with a lot of the tools that a lot of BAs use. And these are like so many. So understand SQL really well. Understand um, different different um, software tools like Quality Center, Enterprise Architect. Um, know how to do UML diagrams, XML diagrams, all of those things. The tools are very, very, very important. And also place a big focus of your studying of the industry of on, on working in agile environments. So there's in the old way of working, we used what was called waterfall methodology where the BA would do all the work, analyze upfront, and then the developers built everything the BA has, BAs have done. But in the new way of working, it's completely iterative. It's it's so um, it's it's agile in that the project needs can change next week, and you need to be able to adapt to that. You document a little bit now. The developers start building now. Whatever you find from that, you update your documentation and proceed that way. So you really really need to understand what it means to work in an agile environment. Woo! Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I hope that that really um, answers all the questions around what it is that I do in my day job, what being a business analyst means, and how I think you can give yourself an edge. Yeah. It, oh, another way that you can also just specialize is through project management. Having really, really solid project management skills can also really help you as a BA. Next question. What did you think you were going to be when you were choosing subjects in grade 10? Okay, so I never really knew what I wanted to do. When I was in high school, yeah, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't like, and I knew that I didn't like accounting. So grade eight and nine, I knew that I hated accounting. I didn't like any of that. I knew that I didn't like any of the super, super commerce related subjects. But I knew that I wanted to be some kind of businesswoman type of thing, like work in like a suit. Ironically, I don't even own a suit <laughs> because I hate that now as a grown up. But when I was choosing my subject, I just literally wanted to choose the, the, the subjects that would allow me to do literally anything and something that just subjects that were super diverse. Not a lot of high schools in South Africa do this but with my high school they didn't group your subjects as in like you have to pick the sciences or the commerce subject you could pick literally anything um I thought IT was pretty cool so I picked up I, I chose programming as one of the subjects I chose 
physical science and I chose business management. Was it business management? Yeah, I think it was business management that I chose. As you can see, none of these subjects are related to each other. I was just like, because I know for a fact I don't know what I want to do when I grow, what I want to be when I grow up. Let me just choose, let me just expose myself to as much as I can at this age. And then hopefully over time I'll be able to eliminate easily, which I did because I hated physics. Physics, oh, I did not enjoy that at all. It was honestly like a pain for me, uh, but I did it and I carried it through till the end. Business management was quite interesting. No, 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 it wasn't business management. Sorry, it was economics. Yeah, I chose economics. Economics was interesting to me, but I knew that I didn't want to work in that field at all because it was interesting just because you get to understand how the world works but i knew it wasn't something i wanted to do day to day it on the other hand and programming we were programming in delphi when i was in high school it was amazing it was fun it was the most fun i think it had a lot to do with also the teacher that i had and that clearly influenced my degree choice because i ended up studying become informatics which is essentially half of the subjects half of the modules that you do in university are completely tech related so from process mapping to programming to you know uh, data analyzing subjects <laughs> and then you also do accounting unfortunately can't couldn't run away from that accounting law you do all of these other modules that are a bit more business related so yeah that's where my head was at okay how do you deal with the new work environment so for this one, this is actually this is a very interesting question, especially because just last week I changed teams. I mean, I changed jobs last year June, and I've been in the same team for about a year, and I've changed I changed teams last week. So how do you deal with a new work environment? I think when it comes to a new work environment, be open, understand that you don't know everything, be open to collaborating with people as well. Ask a lot of questions, like ask a ton of questions. I never used to do this before. Go in the past when I changed teams, I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing so much that it worked against me because I limited the questions that I would ask to people in the team. Like the people that are in your your new team or your new work environment, they've been there. They know it does not mean that necessarily anybody is better than you or you're better than anyone. If you ask a lot of questions, it just it just opens you up to understanding the space so much more and getting to know the the environment so much more so ask a lot of questions be open don't close yourself off to experiences when you do come to a new environment i know it can be super hard especially just with regards to changing uh, like people you get very used to the people that are around you get you develop amazing relationships when you're working sometimes not great relationships but you know so i think just open yourself up, ask a lot of questions, get involved. And grant over time, you'll know if you don't like certain things and then you'll pull back a bit. But I think in the beginning, just get involved with what the team does. Give them a chance. Don't write them off uh, because you get a vibe or whatever. Just get involved with what the team does. Get involved with what the, with the team um, culture and then take it from there. What have been the lowlights of your career? The lowlights of my career. Hmm. So being overlooked for something that I felt like I worked hard for and deserved, that happened to me and I've never been more hurt just from a career perspective. Um, I don't even know if I'm over it really now. <laughs> but that it really hurts when you really work your ass off for something and, and you have the credentials or like you have like on paper, you know it shows that you've done the work and the role goes to someone less far less qualified than you, far less experienced than you, and 
you can't even get an answer as to why. I remember when this happened to me, I actually was, I was like, okay, I understand it's okay. But you know what? Perhaps this person has an, an approach that I wouldn't have thought of. So I, I, I opened myself up so much to learning from this person and just taking it all in. I set up sessions person to just really learn what they're doing that I could take away from them only to find that there really was no real answers to why they got the role. Maybe they just couldn't articulate it to me. I don't know. Or maybe I just didn't get it. But yeah, that's, that was definitely a big low light. It was a low light, but I also think it was a big highlight because it propelled me to make some moves that I normally would not have made in my career. I was very comfortable and happy with where I was. And as soon as this thing happened, I immediately started making moves and I started making a change. And if it wasn't for that pushing me to feel like, wait, let me see what else is out there. Let me see what else I can be doing with my career. Let me see how else I can, you know, navigate this work thing. Um, I don't think I'd be where I am now, you know? Um, yeah, so that was definitely a big low light of my career. Other than that, I will be honest. Oh, of course, also working under uh, not the best circumstances um, from a leadership perspective. I am so blessed in that I've always had incredible leadership. So for me, the one time when I worked under not great leadership, it affected me so much. And, you know, I brought it up with other leaders just to be like, how do I navigate the space? And nobody could give me the help that I needed. And I think what made that experience so much worse for me was hearing that, you know, people were aware of the things that I was bringing up. I wasn't the first to bring up some of these things. And, you know, the answer was something along the lines of, we're working on it. You know, we will take this person for training and we will improve, we will improve. But I just sat there one day and I was like, but it can't be at my expense. And then I understand that they're working on it. And I could see what they were doing. They were really, they were actually trying to change the situation, but it just felt like, I don't know how long this is going to take. And it felt like it was going to be at my expense, at the expense of my mental health, at the expense of my happiness. Happiness is a very big thing for me in terms of my job. Um, and I know that it's a, like, I feel so privileged to even say that. Um, but I'm glad that I can make the choice to put myself in a healthy situation that makes me happy. And that one didn't. So that was a big low light. I I've ne I cried, you know, when you're going to your work and you cry a lot every single day. And I had to make up stories about why I'm crying, make it seem like it was about my personal life because I just couldn't control what was happening with my body. Your body will always tell you if a situation is good for you or not. My... Uh, the, when I when I would cry, it was uncontrollable, and I believe that I'm someone who really has my shit together, especially at work. But in that environment, it affected me so much that my body just could could not handle it, and I would have bursts of, you know, physical physical bursts where I would just cry and I would just feel sick, and I would, you know that kind of thing. So definitely listen to your body. But those were those have been the highlights of my career. And, and I'm talking about my professional career. Um, for She Brigade, um, the low lights, um, it's not a low light. It's just something that I just have to remind myself constantly to just be like, don't worry, you know. It's just it not moving necessarily at the pace that I thought it would have. When I started She Brigade, I didn't really have a goal about where I wanted to see it in five years. But obviously over time, when you see what it does, when you see the impact, when you see how it's moving, then I start developing goals, I started developing a plan and those things not coming together, timelines are moving the way that I expected them to. That was, that is something that I always have to just snap out of and just be like, don't worry about it. 
think of the bigger picture. So yeah, that's definitely it for me. Um, how do you balance your life, work, relationships, she brigade, and family? So how do I balance? I don't believe there is such a thing as balance. I think when you have five things in your life, for example, there will always be some that are getting the most of you more than other things. So like at any given moment, either my work and she brigade are getting the most of me and my relationships are suffering or it's the other way around. You know, I think you just have to acknowledge that that's how it's going to be. I think that you need to have people around you that understand what you do. That's why even with like She Brigade, my 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 colleagues know that I do it. And I like to be open about it and I like to talk about it because it does take time away from me. Um, not from work per se. Obviously, I can't do that. They pay me, She Brigade doesn't. But I think it's just important to for people to understand where you are mentally as a person and the fact that you cannot fill everyone's cup at the same time. Like you cannot give to everything in that exists in your life at the same time. So how do I balance? I don't think there's balance. Like I said, I will give what needs my attention right now, the most attention. And I will just prioritize, okay, I've given this thing attention. I need to give this thing attention now. And I have to give that thing attention. But I think we speak about this a lot, but it's so true. Boundaries, boundaries are so important. So my boundaries are that I do not do she brigade during work time. I do not do work, work like my nine to five during she brigade time. For example, I do not do certain things when I'm with family, even though sometimes I might have to, but like I do not do work when I'm with family. Um, I have family time. I have relationship time. I have friend time. And I try not to, I try not to muddle those things and just, you know, have them overlap as much as I can. Sometimes it's not in your control, but setting those boundaries is very, very important. And it really helps with this thing, the so-called balance thing. Cool. What are your tips in terms of pivoting careers? I have never pivoted a career. Um, I have had a lot of a number of people on the podcast who have pivoted careers, but I think I would recommend that you listen to this podcast, right? Um, there's a podcast called Career Queens Podcast. It's hosted by Teti, who we had on She Brigade a while ago. And on this podcast, she's currently living in New York, and she she not only pivoted her her career when once she was working she also changed degrees you know she started with medicine switched to something more business related went into a career in marketing and then switched to investment banking those are very drastic changes and the the entire episode is dedicated to just that conversation it's called career queen's podcast navigating a career change with zianda kumalo and i think it was very enlightening but I, what I, my biggest takeaways from everyone that has been on the podcast is that it's going to be hard and it's going to suck. And sometimes it'll suck because you're starting over, but you have to be open to it. You have to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Um, you know, you have to remember the cost of staying in your current career versus moving on to a new one. But we cannot deny that it definitely will suck and it will be very hard to make that change and transition. You just have to surround yourself with the right people if you can and keep your eye on the prize. The next question that I'm going to, that I'm going to ask, that I'm going to read now, sorry, is also, I think I've answered it through this last question. It says, I've recently completed a degree. I don't like it. It's leading me to specialize. So I decided to go to what I really love, which is accountancy. Now, what I have is my peers who start accountancy are done and I'm just starting. So my ask is, how do you deal with the pressure and starting over? So yeah, I think we've really answered it there. I would highly recommend that you really go listen to this podcast about someone who changed degrees and also changed changed careers. Cool. Okay, so that's really it with regards to um, 
a little bit about me and a little bit about just career. Oh, no, no, sorry, there's one more. Hi, sis, how does one overcome stagnation in their career? I've been through that quite a bit. I think um, when it comes to your career, um, changes, your career, you know, when it comes to your job, it's this something that you do five days a week, like the whole year. We don't have holidays, like school holidays. So you're doing this all the time. I think exposing yourself to something different is always nice because when you do something different, it might inspire change in your current role or it might inspire you to just excel more or just access different parts of yourself that you did that you didn't know you could. So I think exposing yourself to different things. So like go shadow someone for a while in your department if you can. Just for fun, you know. Sometimes it will take out time, it will take away time from your from your main job. But I think that's okay. Like I used to do that a lot. I used to tell I would tell my boss that, okay, look, there's this thing that this woman is doing that I find very interesting and I'm going to spend some time doing that because I just want to be in that world you know and he all he would say to me was as long as it doesn't impact your work do it Um, I obviously know that not all bosses are understanding like that so maybe it just means that you know you're coming a bit earlier spend an hour somewhere else and that really will light a fire in your current role well that's what it did for me Um, also I think we really neglect the fact that we really forget that we are one person. Your job is not something that is separate to you as a human being. Um, so relationships, your wellness, your health, all these things do impact your work. And sometimes when you're stagnant in one place, you tend to real you you'll you'll easily realize that there's a few other things in your life that are going through the same the same motions. And I think that it's good to also just assess your surroundings, assess your relationships, assess your health, your wellness, all of that, and make a change there. And that may also lead to a, a bigger change in your career, you know? Um, that's definitely also something that I found with myself. I worked with a life coach, and that's literally something where we would talk about one thing and we're regarding, for example, relationships or something completely unrelated to work. And I quickly found that the exact same thing was happening in work, just obviously looked different because of the context. When I brought this work thing up later, I'm like, oh, wait, that's exactly my behavior here is the same there because you are one person, you know? So think of that. Um, cool. Okay, so now we're going to move on to podcasting questions. What are the must-haves in terms of equipment to do a podcast? I said this during our IG Live. I believe in the notion of just start, but... You must iterate and make it better. I, if you're going to start a podcast, I think don't invest in equipment immediately until you know what you, until you found your foot and you know what you're doing. You really understand what um, your podcast is going to be about. And you see yourself dedicating a good amount of time to this thing that is on the side that is probably not even paying you initially. Um, so I wouldn't say invest money in that yet. But over time, as you go through your through your podcasting career, then you'll know what you need and you begin to add to to invest in it, right? You need a phone to start. So the the the, the first two episodes that we recorded, that's Develo's episode and Kim Nakwaza, those two episodes were both recorded on my phone directly onto Anchor, the app, and that's how I started. So I would say in terms of must have start with the phone. As you as you become more solid and you're really sure about what you want to do, get a microphone. Buy something that will work in your environment. Microphones are very tricky because they're very environment specific. If you don't have a treated room, like I don't have a treated room, 
Um, you may not want to get a microphone that absorbs all the sound. You might, you may want more of a directional microphone that really takes in the voice of the person that's speaking right into it, you know, and hushes the the surrounding the surrounding sounds like cars that will drive on the on the highway if you live next to a highway. That happened to me a lot with the first season. So yeah, get a microphone, and that's for me at a minimum what you can and should invest in if you're starting to invest. Just a microphone. Okay, next question. Would you be a guest in someone else's podcast? Of course I would, definitely. How do you approach your guests to be part of your podcast? When it comes to approaching guests, I say shoot your shot. Just shoot your shot. There's so many guests that I never thought would think of coming onto the podcast and they said yes so easily. At the same time, be polite, be respectful of other people and their time. And when you are approaching them, be professional to, you know, whatever you write on, they really, really think about what you send into this person. Don't put the person in a position where they have to now go do research on you and what you're about and what your podcast is about. Give them all the information that they need in order to make a decision about whether they should be on your podcast. Give them as much information as possible, as concisely as possible, especially if you're going via DM, right? Which I've, I have said in the past that I do I DM a majority of my guests. But yeah, be polite, be respectful. I think, you know, I put so much... I Part of, part of my strategy is that because I do DM a lot of guests, I, I know that the first thing they'll look at is my podcast, is my Instagram page. And I think it's so important that I keep my Instagram page um, relevant, fresh, and looking like something that you'd want to be a part of. And that's really why, obviously, the main point of on my Instagram page is to really give com- the community everything they need. But beyond that, it's also just looking at, think of who you want on your podcast and think of the image that they would like to associate themselves with. That's, what, that's really what I think of and that's what drives me. When people want to be on your podcast... Um, they don't just look at the actual podcast or the person behind the podcast. They look at everything. How consistent are you? How regularly do you post? What kind of posts do you do? What's the quality of your podcast? And obviously that is a bit tricky now with you know the pandemic and most interviews being remote and over the internet. It gets a bit tricky with the quality. But you know you do the best that you can knowing that you want to attract the people that you... Knowing, knowing who it is that you want to attract to come onto your podcast. That's what people look at when they come onto your podcast. And I know this because that's exactly what happened with me. I had one of my guests actually have to send my actual podcast for review with their with their with their the, the company that they work for. And they work for an international company. This company was based in Paris and they she had to have them they checked my podcast to see how is it rated, how is it that's why I please rate and review. It goes, I told you guys it goes a long way. We can get all the guests that you, <laughs> that you guys want. Um, but yeah, how is it rated? What is the image? What is the quality? What is the content that you regularly post? Even when you are starting out, project the image of where you want to be from the quality to the content that you post on your on all of your marketing um, avenues, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is. Project that image, and when you're reaching out to people, then it will make it so much easier for them to want to be on your podcast. I cannot emphasize this more. Be respectful, be polite, give people information, and be professional when you are reaching out to someone. The last question is What are your takes on the season? It's so beautiful, even though I'm behind. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that you're saying this because, you know, with this season specifically, it's been quite hard for me. It has genuinely been hard for me to. Um, this year because of where I've been at a personal from a personal perspective you know the pandemic has been going on for so long and it affects us in so many different ways and I know that 
it, it, there's a lot of tangible ways that it's affected a lot of people, but there's a lot of other intangible ways that it's affected people. I'm talking about mental health and all those things that you can't really measure. And I've one of those people that it's affected me more in that other way. And continuing to do something that takes so much of my time and my energy on the side, and you know, it has been very difficult for me. So I'm glad that you love it. I'm glad that it's you know it's it's that you feel like it's beautiful. Um, for my takes on the season is that you know every season I want to be better than the season before and I definitely think that I've achieved that obviously from a quality perspective it's not at the place that I wanted to be and the, the trajectory that I was going towards just because having to record over the internet is not the same as recording in person and I've invested so much into the equipment so I'm working on that guys I'll give I always want to give you the best but my takes on the season with the guests every time I sit down with the guests and record I remember why I do this and that's the that's that moment after I finish an interview is the moment that makes me want to continue, you know, that and obviously the feedback. I, I thrive off of the feedback that everybody sends into the podcast. And I think um, that is really what what shows me that we are still doing really well. You know, we're still giving the get, getting the right content. And yeah, my takes on the season, it's been amazing. I've also experimented quite a bit. This is an example of an experiment just seeing different um, content forms, what else I can offer offer you as the as the listener. I did a reflective episode which got a lot of great feedback. Let me know what you think of that one as well. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing and it's been a, a great learning curve. I don't work alone anymore. I know this is not about the season, this is about She Brigade now, but I don't work alone anymore on She Brigade. That has been amazing and incredible. Guys, I mean, I've I've learned a lot a lot a lot um from this last season and it's literally changed me um as a person because of the learnings that I've specifically taken away from this past season so yeah that's really my takes on the season let me know what your takes are we did get a voice note from one of the listeners and I just want to play it now because I love hearing from you guys and I love the feedback that you give it isn't it is an older voice message sorry for for for, delay, for playing it so late but I think it's important that, you know, we just play play this because I appreciate the time that you took to record this. Hi, Belinda. Um, I just listened to this episode with Sam Game Shongo and it was so, so beautiful. Sure. I think just like what she said at the end, how instead of her coming onto the show or to the platform to talk about wealth and, you know, personal finance she literally hit the nail and actually addressed the inner being because everything literally starts within you you create and center your universe with your thoughts with your being and just what it is that you um manifest or believe and your the way she just spoke so well I am so impressed. I really, really, really loved this episode. And I love your show as well. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I love the women that you keep having onto the show and onto the platform. Okay, guys. So that is it. Those are all the questions that we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for always engaging. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what you think of this episode. If you have more questions, always throw them my way. I love getting your emails. I'd respond to all of them. Love hearing your feedback, good or bad. I always want to improve. So please let me know what you think, what, what else you want to see from, from She Brigade. We have so much planned. Uh, God willing, you know, the pandemic has been a bit of a, hey, it's thrown us off course, but we're, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming back. 
And yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If anything from this episode resonates with you or you know that it will resonate with somebody you know, please let them know about it. Share it with a friend. Um, share it on your social media. DM us your thoughts. Email us your thoughts. Bello at shebrigade.com or info at shebrigade.com. I always love hearing from you. And I hope this was as awesome for you as it was for me. I loved recording this. Uh, thank you. And I love you all. Oh,